Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Today, I want to introduce you to Mackenzie Coppa. She's a voiceover artist and the host of two podcasts, Cultivating the Lovely and The Same Page. Now, Cultivating the Lovely is a faith-based podcast helping moms do just that, cultivate the lovely in the midst of chaos. And The Same Page is a weekly podcast where she helps families listen to and memorize poetry, Shakespeare, historical facts, and the Bible. It's really an interesting concept, and I loved hearing her young kids' voices on the podcast as well. Quite fun. Well, as Kristen, our producer for Inspiration Rising, books guests for our show, we discussed the value that that particular person can bring to you, our community of listeners. And the question that's always in the forefront of my mind is, how will this conversation help the women and men who are part of the Inspiration Rising community? How's it going to help you? Now, some guests I'm more familiar with than others, but I always do quite a bit of research on their passions, their work, and the previous interviews that they've done. I say all of this because the topic of our conversation today is only one that I would broach with Mackenzie because she's already written about it and spoken about it elsewhere. It is a sacred story of her own courage and healing, and I want to honor Mackenzie and her story. She is a powerful woman, and I believe you're going to be inspired by her experience and her words. So in this episode, you're going to learn what it means to cultivate the lovely, the difference between abuse and normal marital conflict, what steps Mackenzie went through before leaving her husband, and how she's helped her four kids negotiate the transition. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Mackenzie Coppa. Well, Mackenzie, thank you so much for taking time to hang with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to coming on. Yeah. So this whole term, cultivate the lovely, that's a new term for me. Okay. Um, so I want to know, I know what all those means mean separately, but what does it yeah. mean to cultivate the lovely? Okay. Well, I'll give you kind of a little bit of background of how it came to be. So about four years ago when Periscope got started, do you remember that, course, you know, yeah. like the first streaming platform I got on there and I just started doing a morning show. So I would just come on and I would chat with other women every morning and we would talk about three little ways that we could have more loveliness in the midst of our everyday chaos. So, you know, a lot of us were stay-at-home moms and homemakers and I had a lot of homeschoolers also following me. I still do. I'm not a homeschooler anymore, but um, I had a lot of homeschoolers following me and that's an intense job and you're with your kids all day long. And it just, there is a certain level of chaos and a certain level of feeling like, when am I ever doing anything that's beautiful or for me or, and so we would think of just little things like, you know, listen to a podcast while you fold the laundry or, you know, take five minutes to, you know, do a hobby or pick up a thing of flowers at Trader Joe's for $5 or just do those little things that they seem like they don't matter 
But then when you add them into your life, they give you that little bit of reprieve and that little bit of break from the monotony of motherhood to feel like, okay, I can do this again tomorrow. And so I ended up actually looking up the definition of cultivating. And it said that it was a labor, a care, and a study. And I felt like that was such a great image for moms and parents and women, anybody, anything worth doing, it takes work. You have to care about it and you have to learn about it. And so that was kind of our our mission to create more loveliness in our life, but it's not going to just happen. You do have to put in effort and you have to want it enough to do it, but that it is worth it. Did you, when you were growing up, did you envision yourself as a stay-at-home mom, did you, you know, or did you think through that or were you homeschooled yourself? Was that something that you had, you know, wanted to do as you were growing up? No, (laughs) no, not at all. Actually. Um, yeah, I was not homeschooled. I, I thought that I wanted to homeschool my kids by the time I was, you know, late teens, that sort of thing. But, I really thought I was going to be an actress. That was the the track that I was on. I'd been training for that since I was eight years old. And it turns out that is actually what I'm doing now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't... Being a stay-at-home mom wasn't exactly what I expected. I knew I wanted to be really involved with my kids, but I thought I would have a career So I I took a break of, you know, I shifted my viewpoint on that. And now that I'm back where I am, I'm actually so grateful for the career that I'm building. And I feel like it makes me a better mom. And I, yeah, I'm really enjoying where I'm at right now. Mm. What would you say were some of the greatest challenges and greatest joys of being a stay-at-home mom? Oh, I think, I mean... It's kind of both the blessing and the curse. I loved having my kids around me all the time, but it was also so overwhelming to have my kids around me all the time. (laughs) You have four kids, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I still, I work from home, so I still have the four-year-old with me uh, most of the time. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for that because I feel like I got to know them in a different way than I would have if they hadn't been homeschooled for the length of time that they were. You know, my oldest is almost 13 and we are so close. And I largely attribute that to all the time that we spent together. And I'm so grateful for that. But it's also, you know, whether you're a homeschooler or not, just being, I mean, maybe just motherhood in general, it just it draws so much from you. You're, you feel like you're constantly giving, especially if you have a lot of little ones. You know, by the time my son, my oldest son was 11, I think I realized that in that 12-year span since I'd gotten pregnant with him, I had not been pregnant or breastfeeding for a total of eight months wow. over that time. So, I mean, it just, you're constantly being touched and needed. And there's just this giving of yourself that can be really exhausting. So I think that was probably, that was the hardest part. It's just like, oh, I just need a breath. And how long did you homeschool your children? For seven years. Seven years. So, yeah. So for quite a while. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And my wife's a teacher. So she's with okay. uh, 24 kindergartners every single day. Oh, wow. So, and I tell her there's just no way I would, you know, I just think of the, our, what is it? Kindergarten cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, it's not a Tuma. Like, she just yeah. knows, I'd go crazy in and out. Yeah. I'd, I'd go nuts. Yeah. Well, and the thing, like, 
I know about myself, like I love the older years. I love having great conversations with my kids about things and like really diving into stuff. Teaching a child how to read makes me want to like take an ice pick to my head. You know, it's like, oh my word, I'm, this is not my sweet spot. Like we'll get through this, but I was always looking forward to the older years when we could have conversations. And not that I didn't love my kids when they were little. I think that's sort of like a taboo thing with moms. Like, oh, don't say you don't love the little years. Right. I don't love the little years. I don't want to potty train anybody anymore. I don't want to, you know, I've done that. I've paid my dues. You know, that's not my, my sweet spot where I have friends who they are, they have been preschool teachers and they just love the little kids and the older years. They're like, Oh my goodness, I don't even know what to do with them where I feel like we're just hitting our stride. So everybody's got their, their thing they're good at. And it's okay to acknowledge that in motherhood. That's awesome. So we have a lot of moms who are listening that maybe don't necessarily homeschool their kids. Maybe they've got Mm -hmm. a career, some stay at home with their kids. How, how did you cultivate loveliness in the lives of your children? I know I'm hearing you that you did it in your own life, kind of as a way to refresh and renew and self care. How have you modeled that or encouraged that in the lives of your kids? You know, I love this question. And I think that it needs to be addressed that just like I was saying, every mom has their strengths with, you know, whether they like the little years or the older years, you have to recognize where you have strengths in parenthood or the way you run your lifestyle in general. Because I have friends who they cultivate loveliness in their lives by making big elaborate meals and always having candles and, you know, like they, it's beautiful all the time. And I started to get really bogged down by that thinking like, Oh, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not putting loveliness into my kids' lives. And when I had to really sit back and analyze what am I doing? That's lovely. I realized I'm great at dance parties with my kids. And I'm great at looking at really difficult situations and saying, how can we spin this? How can we make this better? You know, when my daughter broke her arm last summer, we were on our way to the emergency room and I was going, I know, I know that thing is broken. I just know it. So before we even got there, I was like, okay, as soon as we leave here, we are heading to Hobby Lobby and we are going to buy puff paint and jewels and feathers and whatever you can think of. We are going to bedazzle that sucker and it's going to be the most fabulous cast in the history of casts. And you know what? She is just like, I don't want to say prissy, but like she is like a miniature Kardashian. (laughs) (laughs) She is all about the glamour. And She loved it. Like she didn't want to take her cast off by the end of the summer, you know, because we had made it, we'd taken this difficult circumstance and made it beautiful and fun, worked to spin the situation. And so I think that I do a pretty decent job of even in the midst of really hard times, finding those little things that we can still cling to that make us all happy and joyful together and laugh together. Mm. That's good. That's good. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, through the challenging times, it can be difficult to, you know, how do you cultivate the lovely or in anybody's language, how do you um, spend it to be positive? How do you find the learning? You know, all of those things, we all go through tough experiences, but I yeah. know in the, in the last couple of years, you've really gone through some challenging experiences yourself. How has the the idea of cultivating the lovely taken a a different depth in your life in the last couple of years? Well, 
<clears throat> excuse me. So what you're referring to, so people understand, is about a year and a half ago, I had to leave an abusive marriage. It was verbally, emotionally, and spiritually abusive. And I had been in it for 14 years. And so it did, I did have to re- evaluate what cultivating the lovely meant because I had to reevaluate every single part of our life. The way we weren't going to be homeschooling anymore. I wasn't going to be just just a mom. I say just a mom, but you know, we all know that's a huge job. But it I had to sit back and say, okay, what does this look like for me? And is this even possible for me anymore? And I really realized that I could take cultivating the lovely so much deeper because it gave me the chance to really figure out who I was and what I liked and what I was good at. Just like I was saying how that's the period of time when I realized, oh, these things my friends are doing to cultivate loveliness. I don't have to be that. Like I don't have to be this image of loveliness that someone else is projecting on me. I can finally figure out where I sit in the pocket of having our own loveliness. And so that has been a great experience of really diving in and figuring out what do I what do I actually like to wear? How do I actually want to decorate my home? How do I want to conduct my business and go about my day and parent my kids? It allowed me to look at it basically through a fresh lens and see how we would cultivate loveliness in our new life based on truth, I guess, of who we really were and who I really was. So that's been a, a really clarifying experience to see, oh, this is this is how I can cultivate loveliness and not feel guilty that I'm not doing it well enough. Mm, that's so. beautiful. Uh, you know, I think about that freedom whenever we've been in a constricting situation, whether it's a relationship or a job or even our own mindset. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe our uh, the voices of uh, our home of origin or people that we have been around us and we've constricted our own minds of like, well, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Whether it's taking a risk or expressing ourselves. Um, like I grew up in a home that uh, my parents are awesome, great people, but also um, the idea of a personal expression wasn't necessarily highly valued, more mm-hmm. utilitarian or um, economical approach to life was more valued. And so the idea of even for me, maybe a decade ago where I started to go, man, what would it look like for me to express myself in ways Mm -hmm. that were kind of like outside of the, uh, acceptable, you know, even though it might not be like, well, that's bad. It's just more like, man, we don't really do that. You know, to go, wow, all of a sudden the idea of personal expression takes on a whole different depth. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. When you kind of have the freedom to to make those decisions for yourself, it's it's a different place to be in in life. Yeah. Now, if there are some women or even men that are experiencing a challenging relationship in their own life now, um, would you be willing to share kind of the process that you went through? And I, I'm sure it was a, a long process to go, okay, first of all, I'm recognizing this is abusive. Second of all, you know, I, I know that's got to just be a long journey. Would you mind oh, yeah. just sharing a little bit about that with people as they maybe are trying to wrestle with some of those things in their own lives? Yeah. I mean, it's a question I've gotten over the last year and a half too. I mean, people almost coming to me saying, okay, this is where I'm at. Do you think I should leave? <laughs> and I don't think that anybody else can really make that decision for you. It has to be such a personal 
decision. And you, there are a lot of things to grapple with about it. You know, a lot of why I stayed for as long as I did was because of my faith and feeling like certain things were expected of me or certain things didn't qualify as abuse in my faith system. And, you know, really, I had been married for a very short time when I started having people say to me, did you know you're being verbally abused? And um, I, I actually tried to leave for the first time when my oldest son was six weeks old. So, I mean, then 11 years later is when I actually made the final jump to leave. I think that you really have to be able to be sure of it in your own heart and you have to know you know, is this abuse or is it just regular marital difficulties? And some of that comes from talking with other people, not in a gossipy way, not in a just like complaining about your space, your spouse kind of way, but actually saying, these are things that I'm experiencing, whether that's a counselor or a very trusted friend, someone who isn't going to just be totally biased to you, but is going to give you honest opinions about, you know, this is what I'm seeing happening in your relationship. Um, If there's a lot of isolation from people, I think that is a really big red flag. If the person is saying, you know, they should be able to fulfill everything for you, you shouldn't need any outside relationships. If there's gaslighting going on, which I didn't even realize what gaslighting was until I left. But if you get done with a conversation and you start feeling like a crazy person and like, how could this be? I really thought I was doing the right thing, but somehow it's all my fault and I didn't know and I was trying to do my best. That's that's gaslighting and that's someone really manipulating the way that you feel about yourself. You know, if, if those things are all starting to pile up, you, you have to be able to analyze whether you can say or not. And I tried for a long time to say, well, maybe it's just like in sickness and in health. And this is like a sickness that he has. But when I saw that it was being destructive to my own mental state and to my children, and there, there was a specific period of time and an event that occurred that I realized, okay, this is going to a different level here. I believe that we're moving towards my safety being at stake, my children's safety being at stake. And it was about, I mean, it had built, it would, it's hard to say because there's a lot of ebbs and flows in an abusive relationship. And I also wasn't the kind of person who was going to be in an abusive relationship. I tend to be very outspoken and bold. And I feel that. I'm like, yeah. I'm feeling your energy. And I'm like, how, like, you don't seem meek and mild, you know, like, no. oh, yeah, you seem just really powerful. Yeah. I mean, I was the kid who, oh, I want to graduate from high school a year early. So I'm going to, and I'm going to convince my parents that that's a good idea. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to head off to college when I'm 17. And like, that was who I was. So for me to even be in that relationship and be like, no, this, this can't be abusive because there's no way I could get into an abusive relationship, but it happens so subtly. And they're, even if they don't realize it, they're very good at what they do. And so you just really have to come to a place in your own heart where I think you're ready to go and you're ready to go for good, um, that you've exhausted all your other options and you feel sure of that in your heart that you've tried everything that you can do. And then I think other people's wisdom speaking into the experience and knowing that you can get out safely. I mean, that was very, I had to leave in a very like, 
after he was gone to work, pack whatever we could grab, go have a safety plan in place and make sure that I had some way to provide to not ever be trapped again. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very multi-layered process that you have to go through. And even after you leave, it's, you know, I'm still going through the divorce a year and a half later. We're nowhere near being done. Um, and I think that that's something, if you're coming out of an abusive relationship, you need to expect to, nothing's going to be as easy as it should be, quote unquote, or you expect it to be. There's, there's going to be a lot of hiccups along the way. And you, you have to kind of brace yourself for that. And through that, you've got to cultivate the lovely or you're going to lose your mind. Because I've had so many women specifically come up to me and say, I went through what you went through, but I just laid on my bedroom floor and cried for the year and a half that it took. Or I just could not pick myself up. We were completely on welfare. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't be there for my kids. And she said, I didn't even think about trying to laugh or have fun because just like, this is awful. And it just is awful. And I need to live in this awful place. And I have my moments. (laughs) Like I, I have those moments on the floor, but I have to then say, but I'm free now and I'm not going to live here. And this isn't what I want for myself or my kids or what God wants for me or what my family wants for me. Let's get back up and let's face a new day. And sometimes you just have to say this day, this day is just bad, or this week has just been bad, you know, but I don't want to just live in that place. I want to have joy. I want to have fun with my kids. And I think that that is a really important part about getting through it. My guess is you had all sorts of opinions from people as this was going on. You know, people that were supportive and people that were, you know, probably the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. For um, those of us who maybe are around people that we think might be an abusive relationship, how, what would you have wanted people to say to you? What, how would you have wanted people to support you? I think that a big part of it is believing someone when they say, this is what's happening. And being able to be that person where even if you haven't had very many experiences with the other person, maybe take that step back and think about, have you been deceived? Is that other person being who you think they're being or, you know, that sort of thing? Believe, believe them. If you, if you get that gut feeling like, yeah, something really isn't right here, believe them and then stick by them and don't blame them. I think especially, you know, I'm a Christian. I think that the church in general um, points the finger at the person who left instead of the person who caused the leaving to need to happen. And that gets into a very mucky situation where the person who has been abused isn't receiving the support that they need to help their family and get out of that situation. And the abuser is actually supported. And the church tends to come alongside them and say, oh my gosh, you poor thing, your wife left you or your husband left you or whatever. Let's, you know, let's rally around you and help you. And I don't think that that is what God wants. I think that we need to have a little bit broader perspective than just God hates divorce. Well, hold on for a second. What led there? Let's 
let's believe people who are who are saying this is what's actually happening in my life and get them the help that they need. Mm-hmm. How did you and how are you processing this with your children? You know, I think that's um, one of the, the most challenging things for someone in the situation, at least mm-hmm. I, as an outsider, I think yeah. that would be super challenging. How, how have you talked with them and processed with them? What, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, of course. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very hard thing with the kids because certain ones of them have experienced enough themselves that um, they, it's hard to even know what to say, but they, they have experienced enough themselves that they have perspective on the situation and aren't upset necessarily over the divorce because they feel rescued out of it to a certain extent. Then I have one kid, you know, who has a very different experience. And so all you can kind of do is keep telling them that you love them and keep being there for them and finding ways to connect with them even through the difficult things. You know, it's kind of like that cultivating the lovely thing I have been talking about. Like my 13-year-old and I, we watched Downton Abbey. Like that's our thing. And that may sound like not a way to deal with divorce, (laughs) but it's this way that he and I are continuing to connect and build a relationship and build this part of kind of our family culture where we have this shared language about Downton Abbey and he can quote the Dowager Countess and like we get it, you know, and it's like these inside jokes and everything. And it's allowed him to kind of have that outlet and keep building that relationship with me, even through the difficult times. I always allow them to ask me whatever questions they want to, you know, there's certain things because of the court, I can't answer. But um, I just try to be make sure they know, even through all of this, I'm always there for them. Even when they're with their dad, I'm there for them. I love them. It's not their fault. I think that they have it particularly hard. I think in a normal divorce, it can be much more um the couple can work together a little bit more to look out for the good of the children. Sadly, that's not what is happening in my circumstance. And so I, another big thing is them knowing that I am rallying for them. Like I'm doing whatever I can to protect them, to make sure that their voices are heard and that their opinions are heard about where they should be living. And, you know, that and it's been costly. I mean, literally financially costly to make sure that that happens. But I think that later on in their lives, they will look back and say, mom did fight for us. She did try to make sure that truth was heard and that we were heard. So it's, it's um, one of those things you just have to muddle through, but I've tried to get them counseling that's been stopped at many points, things beyond my control, but wherever I can get them help and allow them to be able to talk to third party sources as well has been um, really helpful for them. It's just, you just kind of got to muddle through and keep altering as you go to find ways to help them. Mm. How, how about yourself? How have you sought uh, your own self-care and recovery over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's it's been a big process. I pretty much immediately got myself into counseling because I knew this was bigger. This was abuse. And so the place I actually went to get counseling was the YWCA because I knew that they would understand 
the perspective of abuse. I had a lot of people who said, no, 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 you should just be going to specifically Christian counselor. But sadly, again, a lot of Christians don't have this greater viewpoint of what abuse looks like in a marriage, because I think we get muddled with um, what submission looks like and what the husband's role is and that sort of thing. And it can kind of be glossed over. And so I knew I wanted to go somewhere where they had specific um, experience with abuse, even if it wasn't physical. And it was tremendously helpful. I was in counseling through them for a little over a year. I did EMDR therapy, which helps your brain to kind of refile the trauma that you've experienced because I had PTSD after living in a highly stressful situation for 14 years. So I really felt like that made a huge impact in helping me to... I I still have the triggers that I had from the PTSD, but it helps me to be able to recognize them and handle them better and at least be able to cognitively think like, okay, that was a trigger. I am having this reaction because of this thing that has happened to me in the past. And now that I'm done with that counseling, I'm actually doing yoga therapy And that is helping me to deal with more like the actual bodily responses that I have to those triggers. So now I can cognitively say, oh, that's a trigger, but I'll still have the racing heart rate or, you know, I can't feel like I breathe. I feel like I can't breathe or, you know, those kinds of things. And so the yoga therapy is kind of helping bring the two together because it helps you deal with your bodily response to the stress and the anxiety. And so both of those things have been really helpful And then just taking care of myself, like allowing myself to have that in the relationship that I had. I was told that if I felt like I needed a break as a mom, then I was not a good mom, that I didn't deserve a break, that moms should just love being moms 100% of the time. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. Well, that's a lie, (laughs) but it's what I was living under. And so by the time I left, I was so burnt out Mm -hmm. and I really had to let myself kind of come out of that. But now I'm doing a better job of maintenancing myself, like giving myself those breaks, giving myself that occasional Starbucks, you know, going to yoga, doing the things to take care of myself. So I don't get to that flat out burnout stage where you're just worthless to everybody. Mm -hmm. EMDR, uh, explain to people what that is if they're not familiar. I wish I could remember what it actually stands for, but it's basically, it has to do with like rapid eye movement and the way um, your brain processes things. So you actually, like you can either use lights that you look back and forth at with your eyes while your counselor is taking you through a series of questions and kind of diving deeper into um, either just your general life history or specific traumatic events that have happened. They take you through that. And the idea is to have both sides of your brain activate. I did it. I used buzzers in my hands and it would rotate from the left hand to the right hand. Some people use headphones. And so it'll go from the left ear to the right ear with a buzzing sound. And it's a way of getting both sides of your brain activating so that as you're processing this trauma, it kind of brings it back to the surface and then files it appropriately how it should have been filed in your brain when you're not in a fight or flight response mode. Hmm. So it just helps your brain to kind of get things back in order the way they should have been instead of being in this jumbled mess from the PTSD. 
And YWCA, is that a unique program where you live that offers counseling or is that something that all YWCAs offer? Yeah, I believe it's nationwide that they offer those services to women. Um, I, I think that's a pretty universal place that you can go if you're experiencing some sort of trauma in your relationship. And they offer all kinds of different programs and things. And this just happened to be the one that fit best for me. We, we went first and met with just someone who kind of helped say, okay, what is it that you guys are dealing with? Do you need a safety plan? Do you need a, you know, like they offered me, <clears throat> excuse me, all these different tools to be able to access through them. And then I was able to sign up for counseling through them. And she was a certified counselor, had experience with the EMDR therapy. And that was incredibly helpful. That's amazing. What encouragement would you give to uh, women or even men who are listening who are facing a similar situation? If you had the opportunity just to speak into their hearts and minds today, what would you say to them? I would say, don't give up. (laughs) It's what I have to tell myself a lot of times. And it's okay to feel like this sucks (laughs) because it does. But don't, don't give into that. Just don't live there. Allow it to be what it is. Deal with the things that you have to deal with when they come up, you know, when court documents are coming through or, you know, deal with those things as you have to deal with them, but don't live in that space. Find ways to take care of yourself. Find ways to add joy to your life and your children's lives because those are the things that even when you're living in, you know, difficult, we've been living with family. <laughs> That's a difficult situation. When, when you're dealing with those things that are still very daily and they feel really overwhelming, that you can cling to those little moments that help you to ride out the, the overall storm. And meanwhile, you're a voiceover artist. Yes. And you have two podcasts. Yes. You uh, host. Tell us um, if, number one, if somebody's looking for a voiceover artist, what is your focus or specialty or what you're passionate about? And then tell us about the two podcasts. Yeah, I am a voiceover artist. I, as I kind of mentioned, I've been acting since I was eight years old. I just got back into being a professional voiceover artist about three years ago. So I've done everything from audiobooks to e-learning to commercial work. Um, I do quite a bit of e-learning narration and commercials. So that's kind of my wheelhouse that I like to stick in. But I've done, you know, podcast intros and any random thing that you could think about. I've probably done some sort of voice work for it. But so that's what I do, which can be found at MackenzieCoppaVO.com. And then my podcasts are Cultivating the Lovely. That is my main show where I've had it for three and a half years now. And I do a lot of interviews, a lot of authors and women who are just learning to cultivate loveliness in their lives. And that's a really fun um, interview-based show. And then we have a family show called The Same Page. And on that show, every Monday, we release um, poetry, scripture, Shakespeare and historical facts. Right now we're doing the presidents and it's with my kids. They're on the show with me. And it's just like five or six minutes that you listen to every day throughout the week. And by the end of the month, your kids will actually know these poems and about all these different presidents. And so it has amazing sticking power with very little effort on the parents' part. And then we also release um, sections from classic children's novels. So we've done Peter Pan and The Wizard of Oz. Right now we're in Little Women. So yeah, it's just a really fun show for families to be able to listen to together. 
And what a unique idea. I listened to it. And first of all, I was, you know, I'm listening to your voice because I had never heard it before. And then all of a sudden, oh. these cute voices start coming. Yeah. Your, your uh, little kids on there. So cute. Uh, but yeah, what a unique concept. Is that, uh, is that uh, something that you've thought of? Or are there other people doing that similarly? Or I've heard that there are other podcasts kind of doing, you know, sort of the same thing. Um, but the idea came to me because I wasn't going to be a homeschooler anymore. And I felt like, oh, I'm going to be missing out on all these things I wanted to share in with my kids. We wanted to, you know, I thought it, we'd be reading Shakespeare together and learning poetry and reading all these classic novels. And now I was going to lose that. But I thought, well, what if we just had a little snippet that we did every morning? And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get up in the morning and have all the books out. And like, that wasn't going to happen. But if I pre-recorded it then we could listen to it together on the way to school in five or 10 minutes. And it could just be something really easy that we could implement into our lives and that would keep us on the same page. That's why I named it that. But then I thought, well, maybe other families would want that too. And it turns out that they do. So yeah, it's pretty fun. That's great. I love the, I love the learning that I take away there is if I have a big idea or something that I had hoped for, and that's not going to come to fruition at this season of life for whatever reason, yeah, I can, I can be, uh, I can grieve that. I can grieve the yeah. loss of that, but it also I can say, well, how can I experience part of it or how can I yeah. redirect it? How can I think about it in a different way? And I love how you did that. That is so powerful. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking time to share just the depth of your life. Uh, Mackenzie, I, I really appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable and yeah, share about you. what you're going through because I know that just by sharing that, it will empower other people. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I hope it will. That's that's why I share. I think it's important for other people who are going through it because it's not talked about as much as it probably should be. So thank you so much for having me on. If you're in a situation involving any type of domestic abuse, whether it's physical or emotional, and you live in the United States, I want to ask you to text a number I'm about to give you in order to get 24-7 support and help. If you pull out your phone, open up a text message, and instead of sending it to one of your contacts, just type in the number 741741. I'll say that again. It's 741741. That's who you're texting to. And you're texting them a message that just says home. Text the word home to that number and you'll receive a response right away. Or if you'd prefer to call someone, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Once again, 1-800-799-7233. If you'd like to get in touch with Mackenzie or listen to any of her podcasts or check her out on social media, you can find all of those links in our show notes. If you're listening on a, an iPhone, swipe up and all of those notes are there. Or you can go to our website, insporising.com. That's I-N-S-P-O rising.com and click on podcast and you'll find the show notes right there. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation or if you found it inspiring or think it might help someone, tell a friend what you've learned. Tell them about the Inspiration Rising podcast. By sharing your learnings, you're solidifying them in your mind and heart, and you're more likely to integrate them into your life right away. Hey, if you're in a tough situation, please know that you are not alone. Reach out for help by texting or calling someone now. 
Google resources in your area if you're outside of the United States and these numbers won't work for you. Be courageous because you deserve to be treated with respect and love. Talk to you next time.